Alright, so we're going to be using the Pew Bible, the follow-along edition of the Pew Bible here. Alright, question one. Oh, I'm reminded. Uh, I got feedback from my family that said you shouldn't make people sign their names. So, it's too late. So... Question one uh, is from Acts chapter 20, verse 21. So let's go ahead and find that, and then I'll read the question. So Acts chapter 20 is in the Pew Bible. That's close to the back of the book, and it's on page 140. So 140 uh, toward the end of the book. It's uh, chapter 20, verse 21. So... Um, all right. When I was doing prison ministry, uh, we would we would say "Amen" when we found it. So, Amen. All right. Okay. It sounds like most people have found it. All right. So, Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-one. Um, I have a little heading up here above seventeen. It says, "Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders." So, uh, the verse in question is this. Paul says, "I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus." All right. That's Paul summarizing his his uh, ministry. So how are repentance and faith connected, and how can we apply this to reflect on the ending of 2018 and the start of a new year? Okay, all right, that's a theological question. All right, so let me get a different one. All right. So, um, so faith and repentance. Okay, repentance. So, so, all right. Who remembers what repentance is? To, to repent something is to do what with your mind? It is to change your mind. It is to, it is to turn around. It is to quit going. You know, it's, uh, when you've been driving a car and you pass the, the intersection you needed and your GPS says recalculating, um, it's repenting, and maybe you haven't yet, but eventually you will look down, and and you will too also change your mind. You will turn around, and um, uh, uh, it's it's when you're in a hole to quit digging, right? So so to change your mind, to rethink everything, and in particular the things you've thought about God. So that's repentance. And then the question is, um, uh, he said, um, uh, I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God. So rethinking. Specifically, rethinking what what you think about God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. So, um, I'm I'm interested that they've used the word toward um, for both of those. So, I would, if I were, you know, getting the opportunity to to look at this in more detail in my study, I would I would actually be interested to know what what is toward and why not in or something like that. So, um, so that's my big asterisk that maybe I'm just completely wrong here. But um, I'm assuming that toward means more or less in. So he's saying repentance um, about God, repentance about the things I've thought about God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus, faith in our Lord Jesus. So um, I think what he's getting at here is he said that... Um, that uh, the... All right. So how can we apply this to reflect on the ending of 2018 and the start of a new year? I'm going to hold that question off for a minute. Let me go back to, uh, so hold that spot. I have a handy yellow, uh, orange bookmark. You don't, so use your finger or something. So go back to uh, page 2 of the very beginning of the Bible. Um, 
because uh, this is this is I think what this gets at the core of what repentance is all about. So, um, the, on page two, uh, actually it's on page three. My bad. So page three, uh, the story of the fall, the Garden of Eden. Uh, Adam and Eve are there in the garden, and um, and they make a mistake. They don't just make a mistake. They actually intentionally go about the business of doing something wrong that they know is wrong. And so they can't even say it's a mistake. They just flat out, they just mess up completely. Okay, so so that's the situation. They're sticky with the juice of this fruit, whatever it is, right? So, And then they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And the man, this is verse 8, and the man and the woman... And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. That there is, I talked about this at Christmas Eve, there is an alienation that we suffer from God, that we basically are, are, um, bent, that, that at a deep level, we hear God's footsteps, uh, walking through the world and we say we better hide. Because he's going to punish us. He's going to, he saw what we did and now the hammer is going to come down. And that's, that's what I think in general, when you read the word repentance in the scriptures, that's what they're getting at. When they say turn back to God, in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew scriptures, they typically say the word turn. They don't have the word repentance. Um, that came later with the Greeks. But it's the same concept. They would talk about turn back to God. The idea is when you are tempted, when you think now's the time to go run and hide, because you have a picture in your mind of what God's going to do, that's what you need to repent. You need to change the way you think about God. So God is not coming to to put the hammer down. God is coming because He loves you, and despite what you've just done, God will um, will will continue to be in a loving relationship with you. Okay, so that's that's what Paul is getting at when he talks about repentance. And then he says, faith in Jesus Christ. Why? What about faith in Jesus Christ? Well, because we have we have this mindset that says that God has to balance the books. That if I did something wrong, okay, I was Uncle Harry this Christmas, and everybody in my family is like kind of trying to hide from me, okay, because I've just been so miserable to be around, okay. And I have this idea, well, somehow the books have to balance, right? I don't just get a free pass for that, right? Now, realistically, there's nothing I can do, right? I can't remake Christmas. I can't make Christmas go away and all the things I did to offend people, right? But I know that something is wrong, and, you know, there's things I can do. I can go apologize or whatever, but I can't fix Christmas, right? But we know, we know deep in, inside us that something has to be fixed. So, uh, what the gospel is, is that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus' role is. Jesus did not just simply come as a, as a moral teacher to kind of show us the right way. He didn't simply come to give us some clever stories. Um, he didn't even come simply to tell us, hey, turn back toward God. Rethink the way you think about God. Don't run and hide. Uh, let God come to you because God doesn't want to punish you. Jesus did those things, but that's not all he did. What he also did is he came to pay the cost of our sin, the part that we can't pay, right? We can apologize. We can do what we can to make things right, but we can't fix the fact, you know, Christmas is behind us. Uh, you know, your kid's childhood is, is behind behind you. There's There's things you cannot fix. And what Jesus did is he came to balance those books, that he was a perfect person, who never sinned. And so he said, all right, I will die on on their behalf. And you'd say, well, look, nobody should have to die. It was just a bad Christmas, right? Right? 
And that's, that's the point. Is whatever, whatever you're thinking of, bad Christmas or, or a miserable childhood or, you know, whatever it is that, that when somebody who is perfectly innocent, someone who is perfectly good dies on behalf of it, that covers any sin that we can imagine. So the idea is that that is the purpose of faith in Jesus. So, so the hard thing is to say, yeah, but, but what I did was so bad that that doesn't work, right? To say, my sin is worse than Jesus' innocence. And Paul is saying, no, it's not. That, that your sin is not worse than Jesus' innocence. That his innocence is so much better than anything you could do or anything the world could do. That you need to have faith. You need to trust Jesus. That he says, he says, this is what, um, this is the reality. Um, there's another kind of faith, and I would be curious if I, if I had time to read the rest of this. Um, Paul talks a lot about dying to ourselves. And so there's another kind of faith, which is faith in Jesus' resurrection. Not simply the atonement side of what Jesus did, right? Jesus, Jesus died for our sins, but Jesus also rose so we could have new life. So there's two parts of faith in Jesus. One is the faith that what he did makes up for what we did wrong. And that's a, that's an act of faith. The other part of what you did, uh, the other part of what Jesus did is he rose, right? He not only died for us, but he rose for us so we can have new life. And so faith in Jesus in that case, and this maybe is maybe the answer to the 2019 is to say, look, I can't make Christmas any better, right? I, I was the one and, you know, you know, it was me and it would have been a better Christmas if it weren't for me, right? I can't, I can't undo the things I've done that are wrong. But by God's grace, I can be a different person. I can be a new person because Jesus gives us um, access to his resurrection power. So um, faith in Jesus has two parts. Faith that what he did sets us right with God, right? Um, that it's not just a question of God loves us, but God God no longer is uh, pays attention to. God no longer keeps account of any wrongdoing. So if God's not keeping count of our wrongdoing, why should we? Right? That's the first part of what Jesus did. But the second part of what he did is he rose. He rose from the dead. And, and so he says um, that we can have faith in, in Jesus in both directions. So, uh, so 2019, um, the ending of 2019, um, if there's things that, that, um, that uh, cause you to experience guilt, um, or for, I would say if there's things that make you unforgiving, um, that there are other people who have wronged you and, and you are, find yourself unforgiving. This is a great time to put those behind you to say, all right, I'm going to rethink, uh, my understanding of, of the, the mathematics, of the, the economics of, of guilt and punishment and so forth. I'm just going to rethink all that in light of what I know about Jesus and the gospel. So I'm going to rethink those things and trust that what Jesus has done has, has the power both to, to overcome my wrongdoing, but also to make me a person who is less susceptible to the, the temptations that make me do wrong. All right. All right. Oh, okay. Here's a question. All right. All right. So, um, so the, the question is, what is a scripture passage that has been meaningful to me personally? Celia. All right. So, um, all right. Sorry. Sorry. Um, no. <laughs> sorry. I just said I wasn't going to name names. So, all right. Sorry. Um, gosh, you know, um, there are so many, um, and it depends on the time uh, and the place. Um, uh, I just read 
I, I w- I've just been doing the work for preparing um, kind of the, the plan for the next couple of months of preaching. And one of the things that I was struck by uh, was um, uh, I had this idea and I kind of looked into some of the way some other people have done it and, and uh, what, are, what are some of the, the paradoxes of, of Christianity. So um, if, you would, if you would be a mature Christian, you must become like a child. Right, so these paradoxes, this this idea. So there's a lot of those, and one of the paradoxes that that has always um, that has always struck me is this idea that if you think you you understand the gospel, that means you really don't understand the gospel. So so um, so uh, periodically I get this glimpse, and I say, oh, this is actually surprisingly simple. This is actually all right. I get the gospel, and then and then something will come along, and I'll say, actually, I have no clue. So um, so uh, there are things that have that have kind of uh, Crystallized some some aspect of the gospel that have been very helpful to me. Um, I'll tell you one that has been very helpful to me um, uh, here. So second uh, second Kings, it's second something um, Kings or Chronicles or something like that. Let me find it. Um, it is second um, second Kings uh, chapter five. So it's in um, page three thirty six toward the front of the book. So the first set of numbers. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, chapter 5 of 2 Kings. And I just do love this story. Um, I love this story so much I'm going to tell it to you twice. Um, so uh, so this is the story. Uh, I didn't hear any amens, but um, Amen. so page 336. So, all right. So Naaman, the story of Naaman. Jesus actually quotes, uh, he, he cites Naaman. He's talking about how, how um, uh, Jesus is saying, that that uh, there were many there were many lepers in the time of Elisha, but only the only one who is recorded as having been cured of their leprosy is a foreigner. So Jesus is is specifically saying the people you think of as you know the the really holy people, the ones who go to church every week and you know do all the right stuff. Jesus is saying God casts a much bigger net than you can imagine. That 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 the foreigners, so, so people like the one we're going to read about, are the ones that God specifically intervened in the lives of to show grace to. So so um, boy, it's a long story. All right. Um, all right. How much of it can I read? All right. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sketch out the first part. So Naaman is a commander of the foreign army. So imagine if America got invaded by Canada, okay, and they're, they're oppressing us and they're taxing us and they've killed a lot of people. Okay, so we probably don't like them, right? So, I mean, this is not just a foreigner. This is a foreigner we don't like. So he's a commander in the army of the king of the invading country. And he was in high favor because he'd done a great job of conquering the, the different countries around them. So, so we're predisposed to dislike him. He was a mighty warrior, but he suffered from leprosy. Now, if we're reading this book, we'd say, well, good, okay? Because, you know, anybody who's caused that much trouble deserves some, some real punishment from God. So good, all right, he's got leprosy. Okay, now, the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And so she said to her mistress, right, she said, you know, good, you know, I may be your slave here, but I'll tell you what, you know, look what happened to Naaman, ha, 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 right? So is that what she's going to say? No, she's going to say, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, 
I don't know how many times she said that. My guess is more than once. But eventually, Naaman goes in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king said, well, go then, and I'll send along a letter to the king of Israel. So I've intimidated the king of Israel. He's afraid he's the next one on my list of countries to conquer. So if I send a letter saying, uh, please help my general, he's going to do everything he can to make that happen. Right? So I'll send a letter. So Naaman goes, and with him he takes ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. Um, by the way, I just, I, I, I'm always struck by that. Ten sets of garments. You know, to us, ten sets of garments is like, that's, you know, a third of my closet or something, right? But it's, it's measured in the same sentence as, as talents of gold and silver. So it's just an amazing, uh, sign of how different our world is than theirs. So, um, they, we haven't fixed the gold and silver problem, but we've got the garments pretty well taken care of. So. He brought the letter to the king of Israel and he said, when this reaches you, um, know that I've sent him and so you cure him. And, but um, the, the king, he tears his clothes and says, oh my God, to give life or death, uh, death or life that this man sends word, how can I possibly cure a man of leprosy? Right? He's just trying to pick a quarrel, right? This is a, uh, he's going to have a cause for, for declaring war. But Elisha uh, hears about it, and he sends a message to the king, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman comes, um, Naaman comes, knocks on the door. Uh, Elisha doesn't come. Elisha doesn't come to the door. Elisha sends a message out that says, Go wash in the river Jordan, and you'll be cleaned. Okay? So Naaman becomes angry. This is verse 11. Naaman becomes angry and goes away saying, I surely thought that for me he would come out, stand and call in the name of his Lord and wave his hand. So he's got this whole picture. He's been, he's traveled all the way from Aramea and he's got this whole idea of the whole way it's going to play out, right? He's going to do some mumbo jumbo. We can wave some bones in the air or whatever, whatever this prophet does, right? I've got this picture and then, then it'll work or it won't work. But he says, that's not what he asked me to do. He just asked me to go bathe in the, the Jordan. And he says, are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? If you could get clean washing in this Podunk River, the Jordan, then certainly you could get clean washing in these better rivers back home, you know, in God's country, right? And he says, so he turned and went away in his rage. And this is the part that has always spoken to me. His servants approached and said, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? Sure, you know, go on a pilgrimage, you know, yeah. you know, a walk a hundred, you know, miles on my knees, you know, whatever it is. If I want something badly enough, I want to do that, right? And the, and the, the, the servants say, um, if he'd asked you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word uh, uh, of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. So I love this story because the truth of the matter is God has never asked me to do anything that is uh, uh, terrifying, that is that is arduous. You know, when when I was uh, exploring with the, the committees, uh, you know, the, the dozens of the two or three committees that were involved in in um, my call to to uh, uh, seminary and then to ordain ministry, um, I've always thought, you know, this is not that hard. God is not asking me to do anything hard. God's asking me to go bathe in the Jordan River. And the blessing is on the other side of it. And I think sometimes we think that, that, that God wants to kind of make you, you know, run an ultra marathon, you know, and then, you know, do handstands or something. That God has this kind of, you know, um, 
uh, obstacle course that he's put in front of you. And if you manage to get to the far side, then we can talk about being blessed. But I love these glimpses throughout even the Hebrew scriptures and certainly all through the, the, the New Testament that that's not the, the mentality we should have about God, that, that God is usually telling us there's something very straightforward, very simple to do, that the, the next step is pretty easy and pretty obvious, and if you do that, then blessing lies on the far side of it. So that's always been very helpful to me. Um, uh, so that's uh, that's a one that has uh, that has been very um, it's it's evergreen. Every time every time I'm looking at a problem, I had a I had a pastor when I was in that process, the call process. He said he said the nature of faith is when you're looking at something God is calling you to do, it looks like the Grand Canyon. And God is saying, I want you to step out in faith. And you look at the Grand Canyon and you say, no, no, not going to happen. But he says, if you do it and you turn around, you will see it was just a little tiny crack in the road. That it is, it is, it is a perceptual thing that we, we see it as this big challenge. But in hindsight, when we turn around and look, we see it's not that big of a deal. And that's been my experience that, that, um, once I've done it, which is the hard part, then it's so much easier. So, um, I hope that you find that encouraging. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. Um, oh, we thank you that, that what we are so tempted to believe about you is just wrong and it's something we need to repent that, that, um, our enemy lies to us and tells us that, that you want to put the hammer down. You want to punish us. You want to, uh, make us uh, do something that is impossible. Uh, but the scriptures uh, teach us the truth, that that you love us, you want to be in a relationship with us. And when we uh, had painted ourselves into a corner, you sent Jesus to rescue us. We thank you, Lord, that by faith in him, we are dead to sin and we have risen to new life. And Lord, we pray in the coming year, you would help us to experience that new life in a way that that gives us more and more victory. We pray it all through Christ our Lord. Amen.